Grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. God had grown the sons of Jacob, those 12 sons, into a nation. And they had been enslaved by the Egyptians. And he called Moses to be his leader to lead them out. And boy, did he lead them out with a bang. Think of all those plagues that he sent. Actually, God was giving Pharaoh time after time an opportunity to trust in him as true God. But Pharaoh refused. God has Moses lead the people out of Egypt. And and the greatest army of its time, right now Egypt is the strongest nation in history. It will later succumb to others. Pharaoh chases after this generation. God parts the Red Sea. The Israelites pass safely. He swallows up Pharaoh's army. They don't have to worry about the Egyptians coming after them. They've lost their army. You'd think that would make the people believe in God, trust in his deliverance and providence. Nope. They get out to the desert and wine. We don't have water. He gives them water. We don't have food. He gives them that miracle bread. They're going to live off of this for 40 years. We don't have meat. He gives them quail. Finally, when it's time to take over the promised land, they don't quite trust in God. They send 12 spies. And 10 of them come back and say, these Canaanites are too powerful. Never mind the fact that our God just destroyed a few months ago the biggest army in our time. We couldn't conquer these Canaanites. The people grumble. God says, I've had enough. This generation will not touch foot in the promised land. They will wander in the desert for 40 years. Two, two of that generation will be allowed to enter the promised land. The two spies who said, by God's help, we'll take them out, no problem. Joshua, who will lead them, he'll replace Moses and Caleb. So it's the next generation now. The last generation's gone, and now they get it. They get to enter the promised land. And you can imagine how stoked, how pumped they are. Now remember, Jacob had a twin brother who was born minutes before him, Esau. Esau didn't care about the Messianic promise, but he himself had been prospered by the Lord and grew into a nation known as Edom. I printed a Bible map on the back page of your bulletin. You'll see the nation of Edom is in the uh, southeastern corner here. They ask permission to pass through Edom. God says, you are not to create problems for them, for they are your cousins. Edom... They even offer to pay Edom for the time they'll be going through the land. Edom refuses and attacks them. They come out. Then they get attacked by a Canaanite king. Oh, but God gives them a tremendous victory against him. You think that they would be stoked and pumped as they start the trip around Edom. Ah, this is a two-week setback. God is working for our good. Nope. They grumble and complain. That is our text, which is Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. 
So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. This is the word of our Lord. For the last uh, few weeks, we had covered uh, through the epistle of Romans, the Apostle Paul assuring believers, when hard times come upon us, it's not God punishing us. God is using them for our good. The punishment of God is hell. But we want to be careful that we don't misunderstand that sometimes God allows us to suffer consequences and stuff as a discipline because he doesn't want us to persist and remain in our sin. And today's text is an example of that. It is very strong law, but it's very strong gospel. Do you hear what the people are actually complaining about? When they complain and they say, uh, in verse 5, they actually say in the Hebrew, our very existence, they use the word for soul, our very existence feels loathing against this worthless bread. The bread they're talking about is the manna, the miracle bread that God provided in the desert to provide for them. They are grumbling against God's providence. They're grumbling against His deliverance. God's answer The Hebrew actually says he sent fiery snakes, fiery serpents. These snakes still exist today. They have red spots on their back that kind of remind you of fire. But the venom in their bite makes our rattlesnake look like a pussycat. You have a very short time if bitten. You throw a tourniquet on the limb that was bitten and you cut that limb off and pray it didn't spread because it's going to kill you. And, And the venom hurts. See, the the people grumbling, they grumbled against God's deliverance, so he chastises them. See, these people are going to take over the promised land, and they need to trust in God. So he gives them his discipline here, not punishing as in I'm sending you to hell, his discipline so that they'll quit clinging to the worldly things and trust in God, because how's God going to give them the promised land? I like to use the example of the city of Jericho. It's not by military might in the ways of this world. They're going to parade around the town, around the walls, seven days. And then on the seventh day, they're going to blast their horns and the walls come tumbling down. If they don't trust in him and prepare by military might, it ain't going to go well for them. So God is disciplining them, but this is an act of love. He's actually maturing them to trust in him. When police are taught riot control, when you got huge crowds and you're going to lob gas at them, they are trained, you don't just spray them down with gas, you figure out the escape route you want them to go. Because if you just spray them down with gas and they can't escape, it's going to get ugly. If you provide an escape, that's the way that they will go. And God, in this case, provides an escape. And His escape is pure gospel, grace, salvation. There's no other way for them to be saved from these snake bites. If they don't do this, they're going to die. The people, God's rebuke, he allows people to die from these so that the nation as a whole recognizes their sin. Now notice they give God the answer when they come to Moses and he'll remove these snakes. That's not God's answer. God's answer, he hears their prayer, but his answer is, no, I've got something better in mind for you because I'm going to use this to teach you to cling to me. The answer God provides, Moses is to make a bronze image of of these snakes. And, you know, when when you have a flag and, you know, a banner and you put it up on a pole, there tends to be a cross beam. 
there's kind of a picture there that we can miss of another banner, another cross beam, as Jesus said to Nicodemus in our gospel lesson, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. If the people wanted to be saved, they need to look at this snake. If we want to be saved from the venomous bite of our sin, we have to look to Christ, not to ourselves, to Christ. Now, there's a discipline in this snake, too, but it's pure gospel. See, doesn't this seem ridiculous? This is a bronze snake. I saw you make this. And we have to look at it to be saved? The senses would say that doesn't work. Give me some balm or some, something. Draw some blood on me. Cut off a limb. I get that. That's good observable science, but I, I have to look. And not just take a quick glance like, oh, what can this hurt? Oh, there it is. Done. It's not the snake itself that healed them, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's God, his promise that healed them. In this case, it was consequent to their trusting in God and actually glaring at the snake. And that warns us, because there's two ways we can fall when it comes to the ways of this world, if we're going to cling to the external things. The one we can go on what we can observe, and, and we can completely reject saying, this is ridiculous, this defies good science or what I can observe. The other is to fall into superstition. This would happen later. This bronze snake existed until nearly the end of the nation of Israel. King Hezekiah, the second to the last of the good kings, the believing kings, the last believing king will be his grandson Josiah. King Hezekiah, during his reign, this, this snake still existed. The people had started worshiping it. They had turned it into an idolatrous thing. So Hezekiah, to the glory of God, destroyed it. But the opposite end is what would happen today when people would say, oh, I can't, this is just ridiculous, and they wouldn't look. Now, in their case, by not looking, they condemned themselves to hell. It exposed their complete unbelief and rejection of the Lord. They would die. And because clearly they did not trust in God's deliverance, means they didn't trust in God, they didn't have faith, they would end up in hell. Those who had been chastised, had been bit by a snake for their grumbling, and looked to this snake as God had commanded would live. Now, the law, the Ten Commandments, make ten demands. And, and they never empower you to keep those demands. The law cannot save you. It's if you are capable of keeping the law, then you are saved up until the moment that you break it. You and I break it all the time. The law makes ten demands and we can't keep them in thought, let alone in word and deed. The gospel, that's what Jesus said to Nicodemus. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The gospel makes a demand too. It demands faith. But unlike the law, it supplies the demand it makes. Because when you hear the gospel, the good news, the Holy Spirit works through that to create faith in your heart so that you trust the very message that you've heard. Just as that snake was lifted up, we look to the cross. But it's actually Jesus Christ on the cross that saves us, unlike that snake. The obedience is the faith that God as a gift gives us. And we can fall in the same way into those two ditches on that narrow razor blade of the truth of God's word. We can look at that and say, this guy who allows himself to be railroaded, that doesn't look like salvation, and reject it. 
end up just like those people who rejected looking at that snake to be healed from their rejection of God's deliverance. Or we can fall on the opposite end and turn it into a superstition. The idea that I can treat the cross like a magic amulet. It is Christ on the cross, Christ dying for our sins, and then Christ off the cross, the empty tomb that is our resurrection. And if we want to treat that cross like a lucky rabbit's foot, we've fallen into superstition as well. So we don't want to cling to the external things of this world, but to what God has established for your deliverance. And God makes it clear what he's established. Now, we can fall into those two sins, and and let's apply that to a couple of things. Number one, let's apply it to God's word, because it's his word that is the message that tells us. People look at this and they say, oh, this word was written over the course of several thousand years. All these miracles, they couldn't have happened. They reject it. Christian churches rejected as a bunch of fables that are just meant to teach us some nice lessons like Aesop's fables. A big one of that would be like the boy who cried wolf teaching us a good moral lesson. Uh Uh-uh. They miss the power of the word of God. But then again, we have people who can become superstitious. They'll reject the word of God in their own way and yet cling to a Bible, having a Bible that, you know, the, the binding, it never gets opened as if somehow having one of those on the shelf is going to save them, never reading it. Or... Or the other idea is, I want to receive divine revelations from God myself and reject this word. I want God to talk directly to me, rejecting his word. We combine his word with water, as Jesus commanded. The word, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We can reject that too, can't we? We can fall on the end saying, that's just tap water. How can that do anything? Sadly, that's what a lot of Christian churches do. And baptism for them does not become the power of God. It becomes a way of saying, look, Lord, I, me, emphasis me, I'm giving myself to you. I'm dedicating myself to you. I love you. Not God seals his Holy Spirit in my heart. Then there's the opposite end. We can fall into idolatry. There's a church that does that. You've heard of holy water thinking you sprinkle it around your house and it'll keep the rats away or whatever other thing. Superstition. But in that word... God promises with that water, it's the word that gives it the power. He seals that Holy Spirit in our heart and we are empowered by that new man the Holy Spirit created to get up every day and kick the stuffing out of our sinful nature even though he gets his sucker punches in because we are empowered by, we are united to Christ, his resurrection is ours. Another one is the Lord's Supper. Jesus says, this is my body. This is my blood. Doesn't say this becomes my body so that it ceases to be bread. Doesn't say those words, this represents my body. This represents my blood. He says it is. The narrow razor's edge is to trust Jesus Christ. When I partake of the Lord's Supper, I am united with my brothers and sisters in Christ because I receive the body and blood of the Lord. And in with that, I receive in a unique way forgiveness. Because of that word, because of that body that was given to me. Given for my sins, you can say. But we can fall into those two ditches. Again, rejecting it and saying, it tastes like bread, it tastes like wine, there's nothing magical here. So God meant to say represents. Or we can go to the opposite end. And yes, the church we were trying to reform reached its heyday in doing this. 
right before the Reformation, where they had determined that it was turned into the body and blood of Christ. still tasted like bread and, and wine, but they said it only was the body and blood, just looked like bread and wine and tasted like bread. Well, there was no bread and wine. And they would take that wafer after they had celebrated the Lord's Supper and they would parade it around town, down Main Street, and the people would worship it. It became an idolatrous thing. It became a sacrifice that they, they were re-sacrificing Jesus to God instead of God is giving me a blessing here. Brothers and sisters in Christ, either one of those two ditches falls off the narrow razor's edge and deprives us of the comfort of our salvation. God wants you to be saved. God was chastening, disciplining the Israelites. They had to trust in him. They had to look at that bronze snake. It wasn't the bronze snake that healed them. It was, I, upon your obedience to this, I will give you the healing. And that bronze snake pointed out Christ, the cross. It's a banner. So salvation is found here, and it's only found there. When you feel the sting of your sin, our sinful nature, our baptism, the waters of baptism remind us, see that cross, see Christ on it? He's paying for your sins. See the cross empty? That's my sins are paid for in full. We receive the Lord's Supper and God says, you get to eat forgiveness. Taste how yummy it is. Yes, we do not cling to the things of this world, but to what God has established for your deliverance. Or as Jesus said in our gospel lesson, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And that's all summarized, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. And now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages and forevermore. Amen.